you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We will be continuing on in what will be a very exciting time. From this point forward until the end of Luke will be very fast-paced. We're going to be transitioning from focus points of John the Baptist to his removal and the focus becoming Christ and his works. So, in Luke chapter 4, what we've just seen in Luke chapter 3 and the end of chapter 3, we saw that Jesus was baptized. He was identified in Christ. He was born both of man and of God, and he is the only hope of humanity. That baptism was a moment of significance for the declaration of who Christ is in his identity. And I find it absolutely fascinating that Luke follows up the baptism with a declaration from the Father from heaven regarding his son, that he goes through the genealogy of Jesus right after. To showcase that he is the only hope for humanity. That he is the son of heaven and he also is the son of man. It's a beautiful picture. Now we're going to be jumping into the ministry of Jesus. And where does his ministry begin? In temptation. In temptation. So let's go to Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 1 this morning. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was wed, led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, a little precursor before we dive into the text, I wanted to let you know that this little short section, the two verses that you see here, is simply the introduction into the long temptation process of Jesus. Now, initially, I figured, hey, let's just throw those two verses in together, let's call it all one thing, temptation of Jesus, but I got convicted over that, simply passing over these two verses. Simply just skipping this precursor and going right to the meat of the issue. So this week, we are going to be exploring the foundation of spiritual warfare. That this introduction, that these simple two verses, sets the precursor of what is about to happen with Jesus and the devil in the wilderness. So this week, we're going to be seeing the foundation of spiritual warfare, what it's for, why it's there, what's necessary in it. But we're also going to see next week the victory of spiritual warfare. The ultimate victory of spiritual warfare when Jesus is tempted by the devil. So, with that being said, I wanted to uh, kind of bring up and showcase this, this beauty, this beautiful thing. That how fitting it is that this next portion of scripture, Luke 4, 1 through 2... <laughs> Is the portion found in Luke is the temptation of Jesus. And this is following the bapti uh, baptism of Jesus. And the joyous occasion of last week's baptism Sunday. The reality of the Christian life following the acceptance and declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Becoming a new creation in Christ. Would begin the journey in the wilderness. Where temptation is found. Where war is found. 
the reality of salvation, of faith, the victory over death and sin is celebrated as we got to see that last week with eight people being baptized. That they declared the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, went and was baptized into His death, raised a new life to which we celebrate and receive them. But the, te the temperament was completely and utterly shifts very quickly. The reality that you have come out of Egypt means the wilderness is next. That you have been delivered from enslavement to sin and death, crossed the Red Sea, which we're going to talk about, and now you are in the wilderness. But guess what's in the wilderness? Tall grasses and wonderful berries and joy and flowers and rainbows? No. Dry desert, thorns and thistles, armies waiting for you, all types of enemies is in the wilderness. Deliverance from sin and death, though a magnificent and glorious feat of victory, will see that the victoriousness of the man of war, as uh, Exodus 15 calls him, we'll see in a moment, does not, does not stop right here. That the victory in your life continues on in the midst of the wilderness too. And the ultimate victory within the midst of the wilderness is you going from Egypt into the wilderness, delivered all the way to the promised land. That is the continual victory of the gospel. That you were once saved, delivered from sin and death, being saved every single day, and will be saved for the sake of heaven, the promised land. That the victory in Christ Jesus was not just a simple one-time event. It's an eternal event. It's something that you can rely on as you walk through this life. That you can beckon to Him, go to Him, be satisfied in Him, seek shelter and refuge in Him. Because the wilderness is dry, there's sand, it's just so coarse and I don't like it. Star Wars nerds out there. <laughs> There's sand, there's thorns, there's serpents, and armies. But we're told to take heart. We're told to be strong in heart. Strong in the Lord. Because you face these enemies every single day, don't you? Sometimes you're simply walking through the desert and the walk may be difficult. Some of you might be in the middle of battle right now. With an army. Some of you may be facing serpents. But the reality of victory does not just simply stop at the cross. It carries you through, all the way through, into the eternal kingdom, the promised land. God's job didn't stop at Egypt. He continued with them all through the wilderness and even crossing the Jordan into the promised land. His work is not finished simply at Calvary. His work is finished whenever He delivers you completely. So He's still at work in you. The baptism and the temptation of Jesus begins the duality of Christ's dissension. Defeats enemies in the wilderness, spills His blood, which we can call the Red Sea, to defeat the works of the devil. Now, this is 
why I drew this up here. And if you can't see this, you can come take a picture later or whatever you want to do. But on this side is going to be the example or the imagery of the Christian life. We are all in Egypt, enslaved and bondage to sin and death. This is where we begin. We cross the Red Sea by the blood of the Lamb that delivers us out of Egypt. I find it fitting that it's called the Red Sea. Because the very thing that causes your salvation causes the destruction of the works of the devil. Huh? Wonderful language. Though he pursues them, he's crushed here. He is The Pharaoh and his people are not out here. But this is where we find ourselves every single day. We are sojourners in the wilderness, walking every single day for the promised land. The Jordan here is the massive chasm that separates the wilderness from the promised land, which God will carry you through yet again, if you know the Old Testament. So this is the life of a Christian, a typical Christian or any person in this world. You are born enslaved to sin. You are delivered by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb destroys the works of the devil. You are free now in the wilderness that God dwells with you and in you in the midst of the wilderness, carrying you to the promised land, which is heaven. That He will cause your ability to go through the chasm of the Jordan to be delivered once and for all. That is your life. What I find interesting in Luke is that he writes this in such a way that we get to see what Jesus is actually doing throughout the gospel account. He starts here. Starts here. He is the son of heaven. Condescends. Crosses the barrier that separates us and now walks amongst the people. Defeating the enemies along the way. Blindness, illness, leprosy, demon possession. The kingdom of God is being proclaimed in the wilderness. Things are happening. He is defeating all sorts of enemies as we go through Luke. You're going to see this. That there is nothing that stops him. And then ultimately at Calvary, where the blood of Christ is spilled, destroying the works of the devil, and delivering you from sin and death. Do you see the picture now? You start here. This is where we would begin. Christ starts here, comes down, does the work, sacrifices his life to save you while you're here to bring you back to God. Luke articulates this, as we will see in the gospel account, to showcase the reality that the God of heaven has come down to pull you from Egypt carry you through the wilderness to deliver you back to Him. How glorious account is that? So today, as we go through the reality and the foundation of spiritual warfare, I want you to focus on this is where we're at, the wilderness. Because we're going to see a few things, what happened in the wilderness, that we need to be wary of. So the deliverance from death through the gospel of Jesus Christ as like crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, which has delivered you from slavery and destruction. The enemy of God's people has been utterly destroyed, and he has, praise God. That the works of the devil are done. 
But Pharaoh and his army is not the only enemy you've got to worry about. In this wilderness, there's the Moabites, the Edomites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. We'll see them in a moment and what that actually means. He has delivered you from them. Listen to the song of Moses and the people of Israel after crossing the Red Sea. And I want you to listen carefully as we go through this. That you, I want you to imagine it this way. Egypt is sin and death. You were enslaved by it, controlled by it, and destined to die in it. Pharaoh, who has been described as the one who wears the serpent, that's intentional, the devil rules over it. He rules over Egypt. He desires your destruction and enslavement. His heart is hardened because God's people have redemption and delivery from death by God's own hand. And the Pharaoh does not. He will be destroyed by it. You are delivered by it. So let's read together Exodus 15, the song of Moses and the people of Israel. This is right after the Red Sea. This is them standing on dry ground on the other side. Listen to the words. Exodus 15, starting in verse 1. I will sing... And then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Not only has the enemy been defeated, his ability of pursuit of you has been defeated. No more horse. He can't come after you. He's locked out. Which is why we can resist him. It's not even a problem. And you'll see that momentarily. The Lord, this is verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. And if you're an underlining or highlighting person in your Bible, highlight or underline verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. As we continue on, I want you to picture sin, death, salvation. And listen to the language. Anytime you hear the word Egypt, think Pharaoh, devil, sin and death, enslaved to it. So let's finish through. Verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand. Where is Christ seated again? At the right hand of the Father. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. 
you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. That's you and I. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. That's wilderness language. Verse 14. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Every single one of those names are actual enemies in the wilderness. That this victory of the Lord at Egypt has caused even the enemies found in the wilderness to tremble. Because this glorious victory was so mighty and so majestic. So even the enemies that you're going to deal with in this life... Even they tremble at the Lord. And guess where he dwells? In you. Continuing on, verse 16. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. This is the song sung by the people of Israel after their deliverance. This is your song. This is the rejoicing that you receive after you receive Christ. The blood of the Lamb has cleansed you and destroyed the works of the devil in your life. Now you are built up in faith to know that you even walk in the wilderness, that there is absolutely no need to fear the enemies that are there. Because guess what? They're trembling. Not because of anything you have done. Are they scared of you? No. They're scared of the one who dwells in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The foundation of spiritual warfare is not your ability to fight. It's your ability to refuge. The strength by which you are able to defeat these enemies in the life that you are leading right now has everything to do with the mighty right arm of God, who is Christ Jesus. The work he has done in your life and continues to do in your life. That you have been given one who has entitled you to power to be a witness, to overcome, to no longer be afraid. They tremble as you pass by. That is the power of spiritual warfare. Not your ability, not some seance or some weird... Because you type in spiritual warfare in Google, you will find as absolutely as many books you could possibly imagine 
telling you to drink water for 40 days and fast and this, that, and the other, and say these words, and then things will happen. It's not about you. You simply abide. He says, go, and you go, okay. Cross the sea, okay. Listen to my messenger, okay. That is the reality of spiritual warfare. So here they are celebrating this victory, but the wilderness awaits. Even after passing through the Red Sea, the wilderness awaits. The Lord delivered them and redeemed them from slavery and death. But the one thing Moses could not do, which Christ has done, was save them from their selves and their desire to keep Egypt alive in their hearts. Moses could do nothing about that. As a matter of fact, as we'll see later, he whines about it. Why are you doing this to me? That's not a victorious king. It's a cowardly man. Christ didn't whine when he went to Calvary, did he? No. No. Moses could not do it. Spiritual warfare is not about deliverance from Egypt. It is delivering the Egypt that seeks to reside in you. The purpose of the wilderness was to rid Egypt from inside the people of God. So too, our spiritual warfare is to rid us from the desires and pursuits of sin and death that seeks to remain in us. All the while, we continue in the wilderness, step by step, with hope in our hearts, knowing by faith that Christ will deliver His people to the promised land. The hope in the midst of this wilderness, this life on this earth is the assurance of a deliverance into the place prepared by God for God's people, the promised land, the kingdom of heaven. So guess what, Christian? If you're here, this is assured. This is the destination. This is where you're going. If you're here, you're still in bondage, still enslaved. You're cut off from this because of the Red Sea. Do you abide in faith? You cross the Red Sea. If you find yourself here, this is assured. Look at it this way. Pauline Triarch, remember we talked about it? Faith, love, hope. <coughs> Salvation that saved you. Faith that saved you. Love, the work, the active work of the gospel in your life. And the hope to which we have in Christ Jesus. Faith, hope, or faith, love, and hope. Faith, hope, love, and hope. Paul warned a church about the example we are able to see regarding the spiritual warfare of the Israelites in the wilderness and the difference we now face in spiritual warfare in Christ. So let's take a look together at what Paul had to say to the church at Corinth regarding spiritual warfare and how it relates to the Israelites. Starting in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, we'll see that in a moment, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Do you know what the spiritual food was? Manna. Do you know what the spiritual drink was? The rock. The water from the rock. So what is Paul already starting to tell us? 
listen, that we're talking about the wilderness language now. They were baptized through the sea. They come out on the other side into Moses, and they all together ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Continuing on. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were conquered here. They came out of here, conquered here, by enemies that were around them and themselves. Some of them, as a matter of fact, the whole generation that came out of Egypt weren't even allowed to go here. They all died here. Paul is making a very clear point. Let's continue on. Now these things took place as what? Examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. So what they desired here was evil. For us it's not likely so. Listen. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by who? The destroyer. Egypt never left them. Egypt was still in them. Even though Pharaoh had been destroyed, they carried Egypt with them, and it destroyed them. Continuing on. Now these things happened to them as an example. Here we are told again. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This is the glorious reality of spiritual uh, warfare in Christ Jesus compared to spiritual warfare in Moses. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That you may be able to endure it. Do you want to know what the separating difference is of the people of Israel in the wilderness and you and I here today? We have a much more victorious prophet, leader, king in Christ than they did in Moses. Christ came down to destroy the works of the devil so that way it doesn't destroy you here. They were overthrown because they carried the serpent with them. <clears throat> the serpent's destroyed here that you do not carry it into the wilderness. You have now been freed from the uh, slavery of sin and death. So when Paul says, check this out, don't desire these things, He's saying you actually have the ability to not desire those things. They did not. They desired it. They did it. They were overtaken by it here. But no temptation has overtaken you. Because God has provided a manner of escape. And that is in Christ Jesus. 
The Israelites were baptized into Moses. We have been baptized into Christ. Paul is making a distinction between the destruction of those in the Old Testament and the reality of victory found in Jesus Christ, in whom we have been baptized. They were overthrown in spiritual warfare. We, who are in Christ, will not be overthrown as we have been given and escaped Christ's victory. Remember that verse in Exodus 15.3 that we highlighted and wrote down? If you did. What does it say of the Lord? The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Paul calls it an example written for our instruction. So we're going to observe the example and the instruction as a measure of understanding spiritual warfare for those in Christ. This week we will be exploring the necessity of the Holy Spirit, how we are led by the Spirit in the wilderness of this life, and the purpose of spiritual warfare for the degradation of the flesh. If there's something that you take away from today, it's this. This is our main topic point. God has not only delivered us from sin and death through Christ's work at Calvary, but He is the man of war in whom we have refuge while we sojourn in the wilderness of this life for the purposes of removing Egypt from within us and deliver us to the promised land. The purpose of spiritual warfare is to let you know that the Spirit is in you. If you have no spiritual warfare... The enemies don't care about you. You're battling against flesh and blood still. But those in Christ Jesus don't battle against flesh and blood. We'll see this later. But principalities and powers and dark places. Spiritual warfare lets you know that Egypt is being removed from you. That victory is happening. We just need to abide. This brings us to number one, the necessity of the Holy Spirit. The necessity of the Holy Spirit. And we see this when it says in Luke 4, 1 at the beginning, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He's here. Returned from the Jordan. We're also going to see the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual warfare. That those who are in Christ Jesus have been given the Spirit of Christ that you are able to walk and abide. That you enter the wilderness having the very helper and the guide that you need to make it through. That you have been empowered by Christ to be able to overcome in the midst of the enemies in the wilderness. So let's dive in into Exodus chapter 23 and see what has happened regarding the people of Israel. Now, this is after the law had been given. Mount Sinai. The law had been given to the people of Israel, and the Lord has beginning to say, all right, it's time for you to sojourn into the wilderness. This is what he has to say, to say to them, starting in verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. That's wilderness language. <laughs> to guide you along the way to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Continuing on. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. That's a pretty awesome messenger, if I say so myself. <coughs> We're going to see what that actually means later. Continuing on. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say... 
then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, for you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Yeah, they've been delivered from Egypt, but guess what? There's a lot of ites out there waiting for them that they're going to have to overthrow. So it is with your life as well. Verse 25. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water. Oh, how about that? And I will take your sickness away from among you. Fun fact, in 1 Corinthians, people who took the communion unworthily, some of them got sick and died because of it. Now we see where it came from. They took the bread and the water unworthily. Continuing on. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. What did it say in uh, Exodus 15? That you pass by? And I will send hornets before you. That's kind of cool. Not a lot. Which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you. Until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness of the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out from before you. You shall make no covenants with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. We're going to find out what these enemies do to your life. Make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. A snare. Do you know what a snare does? A lot of you guys in Alaska know what a snare does. Now, if I said this in California or Oregon, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Snare captures something to cause death to come upon it. The language here is the Lord saying, I'm going to deliver you. You just need to let me do it. Exodus 14, 14. I will fight your battles for you. I will deliver you. Your enemies won't even overtake you. They will turn their backs to you. Then you listen to the messenger, and all will be good, and you will go right to the promised land. But there was a lot of problems along the way, which is why the Old Testament is so thick compared to the New Testament. There was a lot of problems along the way. It was necessary that they listened, but instead they received the snare. That brought death to them. If you reside in Egypt, oh my apologies, let's get to it. Here we see after the deliverance from Egypt, the enemies in the wilderness remain. Enemies in this life that seek destruction of the people of God. Enemies that can overthrow the people. Being delivered from sin and death, Egypt, 
redeemed by God through Jesus Christ does not mean that there are not any more enemies in the wilderness of this life. There are many enemies that have many names. Idolatry, sexual immorality, lust, pride, arrogance, gluttony, more and more and more. These armies abide in the wilderness and all seek to overthrow you if given the chance. And isn't it funny that most of the time that those enemies show up is when you're weakest the most. When you're tired and run down. How intriguing that is. It's like there's no new tricks. They're like, oh, you're tired? Oh, I'm going to overthrow you now. These enemies require the man of war, who is the Lord. These enemies will be defeated in your life by the helper who has been sent as a messenger and a guide. Listen to what Jesus now says regarding the Holy Spirit. Reading what we just read in Exodus 23, John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How intriguing. That's exactly what was said at Sinai. <laughs> and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I love that. In the wilderness, he, didn't be, he wasn't like, all right, deliverance from Egypt. Good luck. And he dips out. Hope you make it. Here's a map. He stayed with them the whole way, just like he will stay with you the whole way. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't call you to adoption and say, you're my son. Good luck in this life. And just abandon. He seals you and secures you by the Holy Spirit because he now dwells in you. To assure you that you go from here to here. Continue on. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me. And I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. Again. Told at Sinai, here's my commandments, keep them, guard them. Where is it written though now? Can somebody tell me? New Testament, where is the law written at now? Is it on stone? Nope, it's on our hearts. So do you have it? Is it guarded? We're going to find out. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will, have loved by, uh, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Moses asked the same question. He said, Lord, show me your glory. So how does Jesus respond to Judas, not Iscariot? Question. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Whose name was written on the messenger that was sent to the people of Israel in Exodus 23? Whose name? The Lord's name was in him. Amen. He will be sent in my name. 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's assuring words when you're in the wilderness. I am in you, I will deliver you, I will conquer your enemies for you. You just need to listen. And he will surely carry us over. If you recede, if you reside in Egypt, sin and death, and have not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are already defeated as you are enslaved. Deliverance from sin and death is not only possible through the blood of the Lamb, but when you have been delivered, the wilderness awaits. Enemies await you on this journey. This journey of the wilderness in your life requires the helper and the guide. But this helper resides in you. This helper defeats the enemies within you that seek your destruction. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So the question is then, alright Freddie, how do we make war? How do we do it? How is it that we're supposed to make war in this life against the enemies that are inside us? Paul says in Ephesians 6 what we're supposed to do. Let's go to Ephesians 6. He gives us the instruction on what we're to do to make war. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Ephesians, I'm sorry, uh, Exodus 15. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Who does he say to be strong in? The Lord. Does it say to be strong in yourself? Believe in yourself and you can overcome. No. His strength. He is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Continuing on. Put on the whole armor of God that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you want to know why that's there? It's not to say, oh, my neighbor's being a jerk and I need to show him a thing or two. That's not what that means. That means that which you have, your flesh and blood, can't defeat this enemy. So if you think you're going to be able to do it on your own, it's not going to happen. This is not flesh and blood warfare. This is spiritual warfare. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Does that require flesh and blood, or does it require the spirit? The spirit. Your flesh and blood, it's no good here. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Do you know what a belt does? It keeps things up. <laughs> it keeps them secure. So truth ensures the security is there. It keeps you standing so your pants don't fall off. It secures all of your garments together. So truth is the foundation by which everything is brought together. You need it. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, where is... What is hidden in the breast? Your heart. It's the very place by which your heart beats, where blood is pumped through your body. Does it say your righteousness? No. This breastplate protects your heart in the reality that Christ has fulfilled all righteousness for you. So you need to guard that. 
that you're not out in the wilderness having to obey 616 mitzvot, which is laws. Christ fulfilled all righteousness for your sake, so guard it. Continuing on. And as for shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We have a purpose when we're in the wilderness, and we say it every single week. To go and declare the gospel. To baptize people and teach them all that Christ has commanded you. Do you know what it says about feet in Romans 10? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Amen. Your feet are to be guarded. And they're supposed to be working. You won't dash your foot against a stone while walking in these bad boys. So walk firmly. Readiness to give the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What does the shield of faith do? No, that's not true. That's not true. You were once an alcoholic. Why don't you go back to it? That's all you're ever going to be. No. Nope. Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. He's given me authority and power to overcome you. No. Do you remember when you were like this? You're not going to ever change. Nope. No. I'm new in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation. That's faith. Faith requires movement of the arm. That's why I love that it's called the shield. It requires you to build it up and make it bigger. So you can extinguish more darts. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Which you extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet. What is in your head? Your brain. The two most vital organs of your body, your brain and your heart, are guarded by the gospel. How awesome is that? The fulfillment of righteousness of Christ Jesus and the reality of your salvation in Christ. That there is nothing that can enter this mind that deters me that I know that I am saved in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I'm able to stand. Guard your head. Guard your head. The sword of the spirit. Oh, here it is. Spiritual warfare. A sword is what it's described as. That's both for defense and fighting back. Do you want to extinguish the enemy from you? Do you want to cause him to flee? Resist him. Because you have not been given the ability to. You've been given a sword. Which is the word of God. Which is the word of God. I love that he makes a clarification there because it's not a seance or a weird thing. It's actually you, and we're going to see this next week, firing the word of God back at the devil to cause him to flee. Yeah. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We have a purpose in the wilderness for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. How do we make war? We've just been taught in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. That we guard ourselves with the reality of the truth of the gospel. Guard our hearts and our minds in, the, in salvation and righteousness. That we can resist him and he'll flee from us. Does it say that you're to be strong in yourself? No. You've been given everything to make war against this. <clears throat> we just need to pick it up and use it. Number two. 
walk by the Spirit in the wilderness. Walk by the Spirit in the wilderness. And this is what it was said in verses, the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2 in Luke 4. That Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Now I want to showcase a, a significant difference here. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. There is a difference between temptation and testing. There is a massive difference between temptation and testing. And this is where it is. And this is where it's at. Temptation seeks to draw you back to Egypt. Testing seeks to pull you to heaven. Temptation reminds you of Egypt and wants you to go back there. Testing removes Egypt out of you to get you here. There's a massive difference between temptation and testing. One seeks your destruction, the other one builds in faith and life. And we can see this. But first, let's take a look at what happened in the wilderness with the people of Israel. The necessity of being guided by the Spirit. Numbers uh, chapter 9, starting at verse 15. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. Do you know what's intriguing? Do you know what the tabernacle is? It's where God dwells. What are you called in the New Testament? The tabernacle of God. It's where the Spirit dwells. And at the evening, it was over the tabernacle like an appearance of fire until morning. Huh. I think we talked about that a few weeks ago. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance by night. And fire of night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, and uh, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, and the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained <laughs> from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. And of it, they continued for a day and a night. When the cloud lifted, they set out. Essentially, let's just boil it down, okay? Whenever the cloud moved, they moved. Whenever it stayed, they stayed. They would follow the cloud and the fire everywhere they went in the wilderness. Everywhere it went. No matter how long it took. Sometimes a day, two days, a month, or longer. They would remain. But do you want to know what's interesting? All the enemies that the people of Israel experienced in the Old Testament, the Lord led them to them. They followed His lead. His glory was supposed to be made manifest in those situations. But the people of Israel would see the glory of the Lord in His strength and rejoice and be built up in faith knowing that they could continue through the rest of the wilderness knowing, hey, this is awesome. Look, look what he did to the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Hivites. What does the Canaanites have against us? Victories in your life of testing builds in you faith. So that way whenever it comes again, another enemy comes, you're like, oh, I've been delivered from this. I've been delivered from alcohol. I've been delivered from pornograph uh, pornography. I've been delivered from drugs. I've been delivered from this. What can stand against me? So when, te te uh, when testing comes, temptation comes, you can just stand back and see the glory of the Lord as you have been built up in faith. 
He will fight your battles for you. The Spirit led the people in the wilderness. So when testing comes your way, this is what James has to say. This is the difference between testing and temptation. James, chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know what that steadfastness word means? Just to stand firm. To walk firmly. To walk securely. Every time there's a victory in your life, you walk a little stronger in the Lord. Because you know what He has done in your life. There are things that have happened in your life that that can never be taken from you. Never. There are deliverances in your life that you can look back and say, I know the Lord lives in my life and works in my life because of this. That cannot be taken from you, no matter how clever anybody thinks they actually are. Continuing on. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you know what the purpose of testing is? For your completeness. Your wholeness. Your perfection. Removing Egypt out of you. Continuing on. This starting in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted. Right? There's the two differences. Tested, tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Why would he want you back in Egypt? He doesn't. So he doesn't tempt you back there. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his what? Own desire. That's Egypt still in you that needs to be worked out. When you're tempted to go back to Egypt, it's because you want to go back there. Verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Brings forth death. We're going to see exactly what that means here in a moment. What happened to the people of Israel when they complained and grumbled to the Lord about their desire and cravings for Egypt again? Mm. Number three. The degradation of the flesh. The degradation of the flesh. The purpose of of the wilderness. We see this in Luke 4. Second half, uh, second half of verse 2. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended. He was hungry. When they were ended. He was hungry. Let's find out what happens to Israel. Numbers chapter 11. This is them in the wilderness now. They have been led by the messenger. They have the tabernacle. They have everything they need. And listen how they respond to the Lord. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. When the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. What did we talk about? The fire of God is supposed to be for your life comes into your life and burns away your flesh. He does it here, literally. They complain about Egypt. The fire of God comes down and, and 
cleanses some of them out. Verse 2. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of the place was called Teberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them, they had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. They forgot the slavery, the death, the bricks they had to make. Oh, how quickly they forget. Oh, but now our strength is dried up. There's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Do you know where their food came from? Their bondage. They had to work for it. Enslavement. Oh, we had some meat, and we had some onions and leeks. Oh, don't mind the fact that we spent our days building bricks. This food from heaven was a gift. They didn't have to do anything for it. We're going to see how awesome that is later. Now here they are complaining. Oh, forget about the slavery and, and the fact that the Pharaoh wanted to kill off our children just so he won't build enough of a population to overthrow Egypt. Let's forget about all the kids who were thrown in denial. But man, that fish was stellar. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance of that of Bedlam. <laughs> the people went about and gathered it and ground it in the hand mills and beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. Let's stop just for a second. Side note. What is the, in the New Testament, what is the word of God alluded to in a parable? A seed. You crush the seed to get inside of it. You open it up. That's where the good stuff is. But whenever you mix oil, do you know what the Spirit of the Lord is likened unto? Oil. So every time you crack open your Bible and you mix it with oil, which you have in you, it is a wonderful taste. Mm -hmm. And it satisfies. Mm -hmm. The people went about and gathered it. Hard about that. It tastes like it was the taste of cakes. When the dew fell upon the camp at night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans and everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all his people on me? Did I conceive all his people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child that, you that the land that you swore to give their fathers? What is he saying? I'm, I'm their mama. Why did you make me their mama? I want feet. Go to the kitchen and give it yourself. Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. Am I not able to carry all this people alone? The burden is too heavy for me. And I included this portion here to show you that the instilling of elders was actually established in the Old Testament. Right here. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Sorry, I haven't got there yet. Can you believe what Moses just said? 
If I have to be their mom, I might as well be dead. How many moms would hear sometimes at the end of the day? I was like, I feel like I'm dead. These kids coming at me with this meat all the time. Verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down to you and be with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it in them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not, may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. This seems kind of odd. They're crying around like babies, and the Lord's like, Oh, you want me? You're going to have it. <laughs> Saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it is better for us in Egypt. Could you believe that the gall? No wonder the Lord burned hotly. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. I mean, oh, you want Egypt? I'm going to give you Egypt. Check out what he does. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? The Lord said, oh, you want Egypt? You're going to have it and you're going to hate it. Uh, I remember in old school days that if you were caught smoking, the parents would be like, all right, I'm going to stand here and just smoke the whole pack. That's essentially what the Lord is doing. Oh, you want Egypt? You want some meat? You're going to have it so much that it's going to come out your nose. You're going to, it's going to be loathsome to you. But Moses said that among them I am 600,000 on foot. You have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? Listen to this. And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Come true for you or not. Let's see how the story finishes. Quickly. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on the side, and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day, and all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers. And they spread them all out for themselves all around the camp. So they were like, oh yeah, we got some meat now. Time to feast. While the meat was still yet between their teeth. Before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. What happened in Egypt? Plagues. You want Egypt? You can have Egypt. Do you want that? Taste the meat and the judgment. Therefore, the name of the place was called Kibroth Hetabah, because they were buried, the people who had the craving. Do you want to know what the purpose is of spiritual warfare in your life? It is to remove Egypt from you. That you no longer desire what you thought was the benefit. All the while.
while forgetting what, what it came with. The meat in Egypt came with plagues, death, slavery, bondage. You may be looking back at portions of your life and be like, oh man, remember when I used to party, bro? That was awesome, man. Just go to the club, dude, get so drunk, man. Too many girls. Music was loud. But you forgot what it did to your soul. And all the injury and other people that it affected or potentially killed because you decided to drive home that night. You want Egypt? You're going to get Egypt. Including its place. Including what comes with Egypt. So the question is now, alright Freddie, you told us of the necessity of the Spirit. You told us that we're led by the Spirit. You told us that the purpose of the spiritual warfare is to get Egypt out of us. What are we supposed to do now? Romans 6. I want you to listen to the language Paul writes because it brings us all together. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You've been delivered from Egypt. Should you live like Egypt out here? No. Because you died to this. Therefore, it can't be here. Let's continue on. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Red Sea. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You've been delivered from death. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. You can walk in this newness now. Because you died here. Continue on. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified in, with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Where's Paul getting his language and imagery from? It's quite obvious. For we who has died has been set free from sin. You're out of Egypt, brothers and sisters. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You can't make it back to Egypt. You're cut off. There's no more Egypt to come out and get you. That includes the devil. He cannot overthrow you. Who is he? Pharaoh was destroyed, remember? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do you have Egypt still in you? It doesn't reign over you. Don't let it reside there anymore. Get rid of it. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death into life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Who were you obedient to in Egypt? The serpent, the devil, your passions of your flesh, you were bound by it, you were enslaved by it, you desired it, and loved it. But in Christ Jesus, there's someone else to whom you obey. You are slaves to one whom you obey. Either of sin, which leads to death, while the meat was still being chewed, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Laws are on your heart now. Keep it guarded. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Oh, that wonderful word. Let's just boil it down. The term sanctification, all it means is the process, your process in the wilderness, removing Egypt from you. That's the best way to think of it. That process. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? When you were in sin, what was the benefit? Israelites thought it was meat and leeks and melons. What happened when they ate the meat of Egypt again? What was the fruit of that? Plague. Death. Don't desire Egypt. It'll only bring death to you. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that gets, that fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The fruit you get here leads to here in Christ Jesus. For the wages of sin, very famous verse, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the two words, wages. What do you do for wages? You work for them. They built bricks. They had their children killed. They were enslaved. They had to build mortar. They had to build uh, towers and statues and idols. They worked, and yet death came to them. But in the wilderness, they didn't do anything. They just simply believed. And manna came. Deliverance came. They simply put the blood on the door, as they were told, and they were delivered. I love that Paul uses the two differences. In Egypt, you're going to work for it, and you're going to be destroyed by it. There's no escaping it. Death will come to you if you work for that. In Christ Jesus, you're given every free spiritual gift in Him. 
You're given the Spirit. You're given sanctification. You're given the hope to eternal life in Christ Jesus. You were given everything you need to do battle. And did you have to work for it? No. He did. For he is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He delivered you completely. You didn't have anything to do with it. Wages that you consume in Egypt will lead to death. You just receive the free gift that's given to you in Christ Jesus. So in closing, 